Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there, and welcome once again to the WP Builds Podcast. You've reached episode number 277, entitled User Experience and User Interface. It was published on Thursday, the 5th of May, 2022. My name's Nathan Wrigley, and in a few minutes' time, I'll be joined by my good friend David Wormsley so that we can have a discussion. It is series two in our WordPress Business Bootcamp series, and we're on episode number five in that series, but more of that later. Firstly, a little bit of housekeeping that we always do at the beginning. If you enjoy WP Builds, I would love for you to help spread the word in any which way that you can. A good way to do that would be to review us on something like your podcast player, Apple Podcasts. Give us one of those five-star reviews. It really does help swell the numbers of the podcast, and obviously that would be lovely. Other things that you could do would be to go to Twitter, use our handle at WPBuilds, and go to our subscribe page, wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe, and sign up to our newsletter there. You'll receive an email update each time we produce a new bit of content. And you can also find our Twitter handle, YouTube channel, and so on and so forth. If you're into YouTube, we do repurpose absolutely everything over onto the YouTube channel. So maybe a good idea to subscribe over there as well. Now, since the news broke that Elon Musk was taking over Twitter, a lot of people have been trying to find alternatives. It may be that you're entirely happy with that and you're happy to stick with Twitter, but I know that a lot of people have been searching around for different ways to have a Twitter-like experience. Well, as luck would have it, WP Builds has got you covered. We have a Mastodon install, which is a little bit like Twitter, but it's federated. But the idea is that you go and post short messages and you can friend people, use the at symbol to message people and so on. It's completely free, completely open source, but we've got it up and running. It's at this URL, wpbuilds.social. So instead of .com, it's .social, wpbuilds.social. Feel free to come and join the conversation over there. It's pretty quiet at the moment, but it may be that this fits a need for you if you are looking for something a little bit different. And again, feel free to share that with all of your friends and colleagues. The last thing I want to mention is our deals page. I always say it's a bit like Black Friday, but every single day of the week, significant discounts off all sorts of WordPress products. It's at wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. Go there, search and filter and see if there's a way that you can save some money. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL and 24-7 support. Bundle that with The Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by going to go.me forward slash WP builds. That's go.me forward slash WP builds. And we really do thank GoDaddy Pro for helping us to put on the WP Builds podcast. 
Okay, let's get stuck into the podcast main content, shall we? Today, we're talking about user experience and user interface. This is a truly huge topic, and we really do get into the thick of it in this episode. David and I having a bit of a chat. We talk about what UI and UX is to start with, and then we get into it in more detail. So for example, we're thinking about what makes good UI and UX. How can we test for this? Do clients really need all of this, or is it just part of our job? And how do we convince them anyway that it's relevant for their website, especially if it's something new? We try to break it down into more more manageable parts, and hopefully we've done a good job of that. I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Hello, welcome to another In the Business Bootcamp series where we relearn everything we know about building WordPress sites and running a web design business from start to finish. We're on season two and we're looking at the design process in this season. And today we are discussing user experience and user interface. So Nathan and I are taking contrasting approaches as we're getting our new businesses running and making our first client site. She's a new lawyer with no previous site and we're calling her Miss A. So Nathan, shall we just do a quick recap where we're up to? Yes, first of all, congratulations for getting through the introduction without having to re-record it for the first time in what feels like a year. That was absolutely breathtaking. Well done. My, my heart was in my mouth and you, you got there. So anyway, a little insight into how we record this thing. Yes, so we're taking a, a divergent approach. David is going to describe his agile approach in a minute. My approach is probably the more traditional approach, perhaps the approach that you're still using and certainly one that you've probably used in the past. You might call it waterfall. The idea of my approach is that everything's fixed priced. We discuss at the beginning what the project involves, have meetings and discussions and proposals and contracts, set the expectations, issue um, some kind of pricing invoice, and then get on with it. And when it's finally finished, go back to the client and say, look, it's done, you have a website. Yep, and I'm going with the right way, which is agile, <laughs> <laughs> where we uh, we really attempt to have a minimal viable website that's out there where we can get some feedback on how it's going. And we have an iterative, ongoing improvement kind of exercise in collaboration with the client. So there is no proposal at the beginning. We really try it and let the whole process um, determine itself by its results. So that's the approach that I'm going with it. So it's very popular, has been for some time in web development, and it's probably the majority. But when it comes to us, more web designers who work with WordPress, it's it's not really kind of caught on there. No, no, it's it, my, my approach is more straightforward to comprehend, isn't it? Yours has got mm. multiple moving parts, which really requires a bit of a bit of a rethink and that essentially is what this series is all about presenting you with the options of how to rethink it and anyway today we're we're ui and uxing which i think is kind of i'm claiming this one as something that we do as agile people so let's talk about what it is first so i'm going to take the definition that i picked up from the web from the nn group which is uh Don Norman's um, website, and he's the person who came up with the term user experience when he was working for Apple in the um, 90s. And his definition is user experience encompasses all aspects of the end user's interaction with the company, its services, and its products. So does that mean literally everything? So in the case of Apple, 
who obviously ship physical goods as well as software, not only is it the website and the product that you hold in your hand, but also down to things like the box that it comes in and whether or not it ships on time and even down to, I don't know, the color of the manual. It's the whole thing, right? Yeah, you know, interesting, we didn't talk about this earlier, but there is another branch of this, which is now being called CX, which is a customer experience, which what Don Norman's um, definition there would probably what they would claim for it now but anyway he's he's the originator of this so uh, there was a wonderful video i saw of him just it was a very short one talking about when he worked with the apple they were considering things as simple as the fact that when someone left their store with their box with their computer in it they were thinking about the size of that box and how it would fit into the boot of a car they wanted to remove as much friction from you know anybody's uh, interaction with their company you know wherever possible and i think you know that's what we're trying to do with the ux here we're trying to and the ui as well trying to remove that friction so we create delightful experiences that's a thing that's often used yeah. in ux um, i think i think it, it would be easy to dismiss apple's success because they're now so successful kind of success breeds success so you imagine that they're yeah. always going to be successful but they really did struggle for a long time, didn't they? They were really the underdog and had to fight mm. for what they've got. And I, I think they do exemplify amazing UX in so many ways. You know, you think about the, the Apple stores, the physical locations yeah. that you go to. They are like no other commercial vending space that I've ever been into. You know, there's acres of space between all the products. You know, there's a good six mm. to eight feet between me and the next iPhone to my left and the other iPhone to my right. It's just such a different approach. And their website is so fabulous all the time. There's no clutter. There's nothing getting in your way. And if memory serves that, you know, they're not right trying to push up cells and all of that. They're just trying to get you down the, the path of doing the one thing, which is to buy the one thing that you're interested in. I think does Disneyland is also known for this, aren't they? For really anticipating the needs of everybody who goes to it, you know. And they're, they're again someone who's really good on the UX. Should we we should distinguish because we're going to talk about one and then we'll move on to the UI. And it's they're often used together as the same thing, particularly when it comes to web design, because generally UI is the thing that would is the website, but. There is a, a thing which is used a lot to describe the difference, and that's using the analogy of an iceberg. So at the tip of the iceberg, the bit that you see, uh, it, there is just the copy graphics and the UI. And then all the unseen stuff, which is key underneath, is the kind of research strategy, content strategy, all the behavioral science that goes into understanding people's needs and motivations. And I think that's probably the key thing with the user experience if you skip the user experience and only concentrate on the ui you end up with having probably a business reason for your website and then you move to the ui you skip out how users might the user's goals and motivations and needs that will make them use your ui and that's probably where user experience becomes important so it's, it's kind of wider yeah it kind of almost feels like ui I know there's artistry in it, but there's also some kind of science underneath it all, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Whereas the the UX stuff is a little bit more ephemeral. It's harder to get hold of. It's people's behavior and people's opinions about things as well. 
So it's a little bit more messy and difficult to to pin down. And therefore, I imagine getting it right is is much more difficult, which is why I think that in our industry, at least, UI is being thought about all the time. Everybody wants their website to look great, to have great yeah. copy, great graphics, to be, you know, just a, dis- a pleasure to look at. But I wonder how many people do the UX piece um, yeah. and we're about to delve into all of the different pieces that it would involve. And I know hand on heart for me, very little of this stuff ever got done. No, the same for me. And I'm trying to move towards ways of being able to do it, um, you know, low cost um, in some form or another. Um, I think the thing is about UI, we know effectively we could test it. We can sit someone there and say, okay, go and use this website and place an order or whatever, or fill in a contact form at the end of it. And we can see, watch their behavior. We're trying to do the same thing with the, sorry, with the UI that is, mm-hmm. with yeah, the yeah. UX, we're trying to do the same thing with trying to understand who might buy this product from things that they might tell us about it to understand what they might actually do rather than what they say they might do. And that's really the difficulty with the UX thing. But shall we just, I wanted to just line up again because we were going these different routes with Agile and Waterfall or traditional. I think the UX fits into the Agile very well. So if we, you know, if we take the website at, at the analogy of it being a commodity like a car which comes off the production line and the keys are handed over to the owner and it's put into maintenance mode. That's the typical way we do it. We scope the project, it ends, then we put it into maintenance. Whereas I think, you know, what I'm keen to explore now as I kind of thought about it more is the idea of the website as more like front of house staff which needs to engage and communicate with its visitors and like staff, it also needs to change and it also needs to provide information that comes back to the organization so staff make a company evolve don't they you don't leave them and then come back to them five years later and see how they're getting on you made a great point to me before where i think your analogy might even be better for clients to understand which is you switch that to a shop instead shall i just explain that so Mm. i think most most people who run a shop they simply don't leave it alone. You know, mm. if, if you have a shop and you're serious about it, you are going to be constantly tinkering with it. You know, that you, you realize that the, the season is changing and the shorts and the sunglasses are selling better than raincoats now. So you're going to remove the raincoats and you're going to push the, the shorts and the sunglasses to the front and you're probably going to put up some kind of banner demonstrating that the that the, the sunglasses are on sale over here, but also you're going to be moving the shelves around. You know, we realize there's not enough space for a little crowd to gather over here. So let's make it a bit wider over there and maybe even, you know, change the paint job around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's this constantly moving feast. It never, ever stays still. And my model just doesn't fit that. My, my no. model is build it, go away, maybe two to three years later, whatever the cadence is for that come back, have a refresh, go away, come back in a few years and, you know, rinse and repeat, basically. Mm. And and I think the the shop analogy, anybody going into a shop realizes from one day to the next, well, that's an exaggeration, from one month to the next, it's not going to be the same. It would be surprising if it was because the needs change. And, yeah. you know, it changes based upon, I, I'm going to say data. I don't suppose many small shop owners are actually gathering data. It'll just be on instinct. But yeah. it'll be on 
instinct built up by little mini miniature data points throughout the, the you know the months and the years that they're working there mm. and i think also i mean if you get into ux which i think you know everybody is moving towards um it's hard to have a traditional approach where you scope it because even if you decide i mean it will work in both systems some people will just have an and date for it and they will still do ux where they will go through various different exercises to work out how they're designing the site but i think you know ux could the information you get about what you're trying to do for who could lead you to entirely change the scope right from the beginning of the project and then on top of it you've got the fact that probably the greatest data you're going to get is when the site is live. So, you know, it seems to me, I'm claiming it for the agile folks. I yeah. think UX is for and us. Yeah, we've we've tried to deliberately disagree on the majority yeah. of these episodes, but I, I really, there's no yeah. way that I can disagree with this. My my model, the waterfall model, really doesn't, well, that's that's nonsense. What I'm about to say isn't true, but it's it's easier for it not to mm. be true. All this user research strategy, content strategy, the behavioral science going on in the background, all of that is and tr- yeah. trying to figure out what people are actually doing on the website. That really does come later. And trying to get people to to do that whilst it's getting built um, would be really difficult. So your approach of let's put something out there, see what it goes like. Let's examine the behavior of people coming to the website. That all just fits beautifully. Mine is yeah. top heavy. And a lot of this stuff is, is you know, the stuff that you do after the fact. So, yeah, granted, conceded. <laughs> you make a good point, though. The thing is, when you've got most, most people come saying, I want a website, they've got an idea of what they want to see. It's, the, it's basically the UI rather than the UX. So to try and get them to think differently, it's very difficult. But I think with Agile, you could do it at least, you know, at our level quite easily by just simply sort of saying, look, this is how we work. We, we put Sonic out because we don't want you to waste your money first and we'll see what comes back from it and we'll keep adjusting all the time yeah and 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 use that analogy of it's not like a car really it's like your staff and i think if there's something in it for them then you can bring them along the way but of course if you try to bombard people with all the ux terminology then they would be out of it straight away it's like oh geez i just want a website <laughs> well I, th- I think that's kind of the master stroke of it really isn't it it's just another little thing which needs to be done on the bigger journey yeah. Whereas for me, it kind of feels like the bigger journey is complete and the whole thing is finished. We've arrived at the destination. I'm putting your website live. We are done. And yeah. then you come back and say, actually, do you know what? Not only am I talking about security and maintenance and updates and all of that, but would you like to get involved in these other possibly modestly expensive things? And of course, <laughs> for many people who just wanted the brochure website, that's not part of the remit. So you're little incremental chipping away at tasks seems to work better yeah 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 it's setting the right expectation from the beginning it's difficult to do it as an upsell later because you've already set the expectation the model of the car the commodity or the ship that's launched we use that terminology as if it's kind of completed and And hits the iceberg that we talked (laughs) about earlier (laughs) so i mean our main distinguisher as as i see it between ux and ui is that the ux is the significant bit between the why you're doing it the business reason and the ui and essentially it's about understanding the user's goals needs and motivations so if we're to do it in some way um, we probably have to try and find 
a user, somebody who is definitely going to need the service that is that we're selling and some way or another, we're going to have to try and find some way to understand what it is that they are likely to do, you know? (laughs) Yeah, at the very least, that would be ideal. I guess I would say at the beginning, would it be okay to just find somebody to check out whether or not things are even working in the in the way that you anticipate so whether or not you know you could get a a friend or family relation to browse around the website and give feedback as actually I had no idea how to proceed from this point to this point or are you saying right from the beginning you want to really drill down to the target market whoever they are wherever they are no I would just it's about really the order of it I think you yep. need the UX before you can put the UI in place because what is going to so let's let's try and break it down with our because we tried to do it so if we were thinking ux with miss a we'd probably start by asking her first because this is all interlinked with it her business aims what she's expecting for the website who she's trying to reach and why how will she know what success looks like at all yeah and we know that probably with most people if you ask them those questions they just think i just want more leads (laughs) yeah i want people to pick up the phone that kind yeah, of response, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, but we're going to need because they will know it whether whether they've really thought about it or they can express it through a conversation. We will be able to get something that they see themselves as being different from other people out there. There must be something either about their personality and how they deal with people, or the particular service that they provide, or they might be after without knowing it a target audience which is different from their competitors or something. If we can latch onto that then and put it into their words then we've got effectively somebody who we think it might be for and then now we probably won't have the budget to go through a whole research user research thing first but we'd probably do that as the next step um but we could do that in an easy way and i i I i've never really done this there's lots of documentations about how you might be able to kind of focus group people and do all of that but in the most simplest terms it's kind of happened by accident with me so there's a site i'm doing for somebody who's setting up something for electric uh, radiator installers and it just happened that my brother has some properties which he's been fitting out with electric <laughs> radiators so he know i got his insight as to he was you know the person thereafter um but uh, you know he told me about what made it so confusing the kind of acronyms how overloaded he was with the stuff or, or what he wanted to know so that kind of thing finding a real user for that service and kind of asking them some questions is a way of doing it now there's lots of stuff in ux to be able to do this properly there's some documentation where you have this empathy mapping where you try and find out what people feel and there's a skill in not trying to elicit from people what they think they want it's really what they need and what they're likely to do and it's very easy to have a whole project fail because you've asked people will they want this and they all say yeah it sounds really cool mate build that (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, I'll, i'll be up for that but that's not what they do and that's the part of the skill of that but i'm just saying i think as long as we know that's what we're trying to do not to forget what people will actually do their goals needs and motivations before we start to build anything 
is going to help us. It's just, it's almost as imp- it's as important as the business aims in the first place. What you're trying to do. You had a really nice coincidence there, didn't you, with your brother? I mean, that's just yeah. like almost like lap of the god stuff. That's ridiculously <laughs> yeah. coincidental and, and beautiful. But I guess the problem here arises with modest budget builds. Yes, is. Yeah. Do you know having that same stroke of luck? The chances are you'll ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time you won't have anything like that, and so you'll be trying to figure out this by yourself. And that basically is where I always ended up: was mm. I had to intuit what the user would want and f- kind of figure it out instinctively myself. And you know, you're m- modestly savvy on the internet; you can probably figure some of it out, but. When you get into real niche markets, not that Miss A with her law practice is all that niche, but if you did get into something really niche, it may be that if you did it yourself, Mm. you would misstep. And so I guess you have to have the Mm. conversation about doing this with paid people, you know, consultants or paying people directly to, to give you this advice. And I don't know how, I personally wouldn't know even where to begin with that task. No, and and this is the challenge now because I've decided it's a good idea. And in some ways, maybe you can do a lot of it yourself. I mean, what this is saying is don't get carried away with an idea that you think will be really cool. You need to sort of say whether, you know, you need to be realistic about whether someone really would be motivated to do what you're trying to to get them to do and they will use that service and i think sometimes you can be that person and ask yourself that question and go get quite far on it um but after that i mean you know without making it a big deal for the client there's nothing you know i wouldn't imagine there's anything more difficult than saying to them you know do you have any of your customers that already use your stuff and that i might be able to talk to for 15 minutes or something and in a small conversation if you use something like this empathy map and just point out the things that they say and pick it out. You might get some real indicators about what are blocks to them, how they feel about certain things, what information is going to be important to them uh, up front. And that's going to help you to design your pages and, and do your structure of your site, you know? So I think that's really all that we can do here. But I think there's ways around it that don't need to cost much, could take up an hour of the whole project or something to just maybe grab you know, three or four people yeah. who might be able to talk to you a little bit about maybe why, you know, they would go choose some services over another. But obviously yeah. you need to have somebody who would need that service. That's yeah. the key thing. Yeah. A um, couple of things about that. The, the Well, the first one is, what's an empathy map? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't actually know where this comes from. There's um you probably want to put the link in the show notes I for will. this. It's from the NN group, so it's Don Norman's group there and it's got an article on empathy mapping and if I can bring it up, I might be able to say what it says. It's it's just a little quadrant of things that people say. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of divided up into four sections, isn't it? And it's the kind of things that you're trying to determine and if you if you've only got four things to think about it makes it a lot easier doesn't it yeah i mean we can't discuss much in this episode itself because there's another little link i shared with you as well and it comes from again kind of connected to the agile approaches there's a guy who's been doing i guess before agile was popular something called lean ux and he has also a kind of strategy template where 
when you've got up with your business idea, it's just a way of reminding you to ask all of the questions that make sure that you don't make this mistake of forgetting what the user's needs are. Yeah, yeah. Because you could be so carried away with it. And if you ask people, they'll say, that's great, brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I will be sure to link to those empathy mapping tools and what have you in the show notes. So the second thing was, if yeah. if in our particular case, Madame A, Miss A, is just yeah. a lawyer, a local lawyer, we, we already know that there's a business model there. We You know, there's lawyers all mm. over the place. Do we need to do this when it's something which isn't new and unique? Or is it only reserved for people branching out into some new industry or new area or new product? No, I think it helps most with that, the latter. But also, I think, you know, it's about competing, isn't it, here? If her yeah. business is just a copy of everything else that's out there that's more established, where she must have something about her business, if it's in her, that we needed to get out from the beginning, which are her aims. Something so we can follow on, so her website will reflect that and will in some way meet the needs of the target audiences she has. So maybe, you know, maybe there's something about the fact that she wants law to be very accessible to younger people. I I don't know, maybe she's specializing in one particular law more than others. Anything that we can go and kind of lead us to it. And then we can find that type of person, you know. So I I think often, you know, we talk a lot about um, user profiles I think in web design, that's often banded around. From a UX perspective, they would say that's more demographic and that's maybe good for marketing. But when it comes to getting to the needs of people and what information that they need and how a site needs to be structured, we actually need to talk to people who need the the product itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, she'll ju- tell- sorry, you carry on. No, I mean, maybe she will tell us that there are particular law that she specializes in, you know. Um, I, I mean, I don't know enough about the service itself, but I'm, I, I'm sure lots of lawyers that are more focused on B2B than, you know. Yeah, or it could be that like. you're into, I don't know, you specialize in divorce law or conveyancing or something like that. We also spoke before we hit record about there's an opportunity here for just how they want to portray it as well and it may be that Mm. for example they want to make use of video because you know after a few conversations with miss a you realize she's just got this electric personality and putting her front and center would make a real significant difference and you spoke about i think i believe it was a plumber or something client that you had before and yeah they, they just had like this magnetic personality to sort of draw the attention when everybody's looking at them in the pub because they've just got something about them. That there is, there's possibly gains to be had there as well, not necessarily strictly related to what we're talking about, but it might affect things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the guy I'm thinking of there, I mean, it's not electric personality. What he's got is the thing that I guess most people are most fearful of when they book somebody is that you're going to get this rogue tradesperson. And he is the absolute opposite of that. He's the nice guy who you would just instantly trust. And you just think, gosh, you you need to show that because just meeting you, you know, you trust them and you would like them in the home. You know, you know, they're going to be fair with you. And I think that's it sometimes, you know, they... I think business owners have got no clue of being able to find their own unique thing that they have. So, I mean, our conversations would start with that, um, I think, and then it would lead us to it. And I think there is, you know, if she was doing law that was aimed at business to business, that, 
getting to know that would tell us uh, maybe, I mean, in a few sites I've done which are like that, we don't concentrate on mobile first any longer because all of the people going to their site, pretty much all of them, 90% of them, are doing it in office hours on desktops. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I just think, you know, that's kind of, you know, the thing about thinking about the type of user that you've got. There's only so much we can talk about that, so we probably have to sort of move on to yeah. away from the UX, I think, onto the kind of UI stuff. So this is the stuff we can see, the stuff we build. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what have <laughs> we got to consider here? Uh, well, there's a, there's a lot of myths, isn't there, with it? But we do know these things, like we do consider the number of clicks to a goal, you know? So if somebody has to fill something out, I think we're moving a lot more to making contact forms accessible on any page so people can, you know, do that straight away rather than having to go to a separate contact page which takes some time to load on mobiles that kind of thing the, the nice Using... thing about your model here as well is that you've you've really got a you've got an in into keeping that conversation going my model yeah. really you know i might install well i have and i'm sure everybody can empathize with this you install something like google analytics mm -hmm. and then it's total silence and it's <laughs> yeah. pretty clear that that was a pointless enterprise which is only modestly albeit slowing down the site nobody looks nobody's checking anything nobody's yeah. reacting to anything it's just absolutely pointless and that's because i've dropped the, the project as soon as i've handed it over that whole thing has gone now maybe it's part of some sort of care plan but you've got a good reason to be going back right you you want to maybe you'll set up a uh, i don't know an seo sprint um, yeah as part yeah. of the the ongoing relationship and it's not a care package it's a bit of work it's a timed piece of work yeah i mean the kind of deal is and it gets something out quickly you know it's not going to be perfect but it's out there gathering data but you get it out quick on the thing that we're going to look at it pretty soon as well you know yeah. so it's not the thing isn't going out three months or a year later it's going out as quickly as we possibly can get it out and then uh, because that's part of the deal that you're going to start to look at a little bit of the, the things that you're trying to achieve as it managed to which of course it there's every advantage to getting something out quickly, even if it's just a homepage, if it's a new site for her. So if I was doing it with Miss A, I want to get her, if she, even if she hasn't got all the stuff that she wants there, let's get a homepage out there with a new domain name. So Google can be, you know, it can be rising in SERPs, uh, possibly getting some income in, who knows, with the contact form there before we've even completed the job. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's the idea. Sorry, I'm a little bit off the point. So we're back to UI, so our user interface. So we have to consider um, the number of clicks to a goal, a contact form or an order or whatever it is, uh, white space, the use of that, considering scrolling, and which, of course, there's a lot of theories about and a lot of myths, aren't there? You know, if you ask people, they often say they don't like to scroll, but most of the time it's when it's inconvenient scrolling, like the you know go now button us and think you have to scroll to get to it or something on yeah or... just from personal experience I, i'm it really is a lottery whether i scroll and it's largely a product of where i am at the moment you know yeah. if i'm if i'm idly doing something then the chances of me actually scrolling down are pretty slim but if i'm sitting in a comfy chair then you know i'm at home the chances are pretty great but it's yeah, it's a big part. You know, you've got this tiny little window now on a mobile phone to to make an impact, and you've really got to make the most of it. 
Yeah, and scrolling is not, I mean, you know, isn't it the thing that everybody does when you're yeah. on the mobile? You just go and whiz your finger and go all up and down. Yeah, there. this mindless <laughs> scrolling flick thing that you see yeah. everybody doing nowadays, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we have to consider choices, whether there's too many for the client. And that's obviously something that will get out of the the UX, understanding people's motivations, getting to the information that they most want and hiding away the stuff that they don't need until they're interested, that yep. kind of stuff, and yep. knowing what that is. Yep. Um, and also, you know, uh, knowing, and I, this is where the user testing comes in, that users don't necessarily, when they're navigating, make good choices. They don't go in the areas you, you think they are going. They click a bit randomly, or they perceive things differently. So these are all things to think about. Yeah. Um, shall we move on and talk about, I think Peachier, and that series you did with her and do that work, that was, I didn't watch all of that, but it was excellent what it was doing. She was really into being able to critique people's visual designs. Yeah, this is this is a series that I um, have been doing with Peacher. Um, we call it the WP Builds UI UX show and kind of on a monthly basis, get Peacher to take a couple of sites and just sort of draw some conclusions from her. Mm from her expertise in this area and there's an awful lot going on and you know she'll she'll talk about the user journey and she's got a big thing about certain characteristics of websites like the, the way that the eye uh, performs and the way that the eye works over a website and obviously if you're using language like english the fact that things should be left aligned so that it's easier and it doesn't make you um, tired out and these things on the face of it seem like they would be really trite and not that important but I think they are important. So yeah, shaping things, putting things into different content areas. She talks about fonts a lot. She talks about color choices a lot, alignment a lot, and definitely things like white space. It's a good show. And we just yeah. we just take a couple each time and critique them. Sometimes we're looking for particular things like dark patterns, or sometimes we might be looking particularly at fonts. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot that comes out of it. And And to be honest with you, I'm kind of getting into the the, the the mode of thought that she's got now so I can often now kind of think what she's going to say next but yes. most of what she said when I first did the show was totally news to me and it's it's worth it's worth checking out yeah and I saw you know some of the earlier shows and it um I learned some stuff particularly with alignment I mean with much of this you know to get a delightful experience a good um, user experiences where everything works as you would expect it to work with the minimal friction friction that's it it also has to feel nice emotionally as well but that's it and I think a lot of what she does in those kind of things is to say make sure that your alignments you know there so it doesn't cut you know little bits just slightly out across your design it creates problems for the eye it's, it makes it feel more busy and being able to use white space in the right place be aware of how proximity to things makes a big difference, how you might want to keep your call to action button in an, an open space away from something else so people can spot it very easily and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we could talk about this one forever, but there are some basic rules which I think come under the whole umbrella of UX that we do, as well as the user journey as well. Once we've learned a little bit about our users' needs, it might indicate the the layout of the structure of the site mm -hmm. and the user mm -hmm. and the various user journeys that different types of users might go through because yeah. obviously this lawyer will probably be doing different services so we'll think about those so 
anyway. Um, shall we just move on a little bit about another thing, which is the kind of flow and interaction, something else that we do with our UI design. Well, so, just to say, Peacher's really hot on this. She really hates the idea that if you if you're encouraging somebody to do a certain action and then they do it and it doesn't result in that action, yes. then you really are full. So like labeling a button with, yes. I don't know, um, subscribe, and then it doesn't allow you to subscribe. It just takes you to some other place where you could, if you wished, find the subscribe page is just a complete no-no. In other words, if it says to do something, then make sure it does that thing. Yes, Actually, should we mention the thing we were going to mention a bit later about the Gerard Spool thing? The, oh, yeah. The, the $300 million button. Um, I, I <laughs> guess a lot of people know about this, but it's a real it's real great example of the importance of kind of UI testing. Um, I think, I can't remember entirely, but I think the American group that had the problem was Target. And they came in and the... The big issue they had on the checkout that people weren't going on and buying stuff as they wanted and all that really needed changing as i remember this might not be absolutely correct but is that the button that they had that said register put people off because it just sounded like oh here's work changing that wording to continue <laughs> meant that they went on and registered which well, just such a phenomenally small change yeah and yet, if your number is remembered correctly, resulted in a difference of $300 million. I mean, that's got to be the best use of time in yeah. in history, almost. You mean, how long did it take to make that change? <laughs> you, know, just been, you told me a great story. You must tell it. The, the matches won. Oh, yeah, this is, this is lovely. This is about listening to, listening to your stakeholders, really, and listening to the people who who are the people that matter. So this could be your target audience or whatever. And it was all about swan matches. Swan matches, literally, yeah, matches. You buy a box and you strike the match and light a fire. They were desperate to cut costs because they realized their business wasn't as profitable as it could be. And so they they went out all over the place, hired very expensive consultants. And the net result of all of the hard work that they did to change branding and all of that was nothing changed. The sales didn't go up. It's matches, for goodness sake. And, and eventually some bright spark said, well, why don't we ask the workers? And so they went to the factory floor and amongst all of the factory workers who were literally packing the boxes, they asked the question, can you think of a way of making our business more profitable? And one of the elderly ladies, as the story goes, said, well, I've noticed that on both sides of the box, there's a piece of, um, what's it called? Sandpaper. Sandpaper. Sandpaper to strike the match with. Why don't you just get rid of one of them? And they were like, what? Uh, 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 wow. Okay. So they got rid of it. And apparently they saved about $5 million. <laughs> it's, it's fabulous. And all it took it? was to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's all this is about, isn't it? For me, this whole UX is just having a, a list of questions you might ask and just try and gain that information and, and look out for the pitfalls. Well, but I think anyway, that for me yeah. is the thing. I never yeah. had the questions, so I never did that work because it made yeah. it it made me afraid because it is, it, it is in an area of discomfort for me, you know, um, gathering data and going back because it just didn't fit the model. The model for yeah. me was hand it over, move on. And, yeah. and I didn't have a process and it feels like you've got more of a process going on, which would make me more comfortable with it were I to do it now. 
Yeah, and also if you were to study all the UX stuff and that, it's become its own industry with people pay them good money to sit there and run these focus groups and stuff. And it becomes very, you know, against my agile kind of approach, very document heavy, you know, itself. So I want to avoid that, but I love what's behind it, the thinking. Anyway, sorry, we were talking about mm. flows and interactions. So yeah, peaches onto that sort of thing, but we all do it. We, we need to make sure that we lead people in the flow of a page. And the, there is certain science about how eyes zigzag across a page and where we might need to place important information within how people view stuff. That's kind of leading them to the steps to achieve their goal. Um, and we've, we've got, um, needs to be the sort of progressive side of it. So what we're talking about is putting the information that people need most in clear areas. And then maybe things that might be overload need to be hidden, maybe under some advanced options, if it was software or yeah, we can yeah. place those in tabs uh, on our design, that sort of stuff. Status, you mentioned again, was the big thing. A button should do what it does. I find the same with a lot of designs where I think the image is calling me out to go to a page and there's no hover over and I click on it and it doesn't do anything. And you see the image bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't do what I expect. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's anti user experience. You know, to make it good, everything should behave the way you expect it to work. So I think I see that a lot of times yeah. images that for yeah. some reason, the nature of them make me think I should click on them and they're not. And it's disappointing. It's friction. Um, and the other thing is a good key point, And we were talking about how this goes wrong. Um, the importance of recognition over recall. So uh, it's easy to recognize something. It's less uses less brain calories, if you like, than to recall. And I've seen someone give the example of when you're looking in a photo folder at the thumbnail view and the file name. So if you want a picture of your holiday and there's one you want to find with your wife on, it's going to be a lot of hard work to try and do that from the names in the file names. But as soon as you see the thumbnails, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. And we use that a lot in design for following conventions. So people don't have to think we use it for icons as well as a quick way of being able to signify what that thing does without having to read it yeah the perfect example to me for that is just like the use of maybe the download icon we seem to have settled on an arrow pointing down to a horizontal yes. line and yes. it's just everybody associates that with download now and so that would be the perfect place to use it not scroll down <laughs> i i feel like i've been in web design long enough to kind of see the rise of icons being the thing yes you know? yes and um, they are so poorly used so I know. <laughs> much of the time by me as much as anybody else but you know you go for the oh that kind of fits we're trying to demonstrate that we're good value for money okay we'll put the dollar sign in that'll be fine <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's back to that big problem of the cart before the horse isn't it with the you know you end up with a design in your mind and then you try and fit the information to that design yeah think, very oh, much this is a section much. where yeah oh here icons should go so well, yes you know, uh, it doesn't work yes it, you've got it the wrong way around isn't it? it should be the icon should yeah. be enhancing or, or you know moving us towards recognition rather than the more painful task of recalling stuff yeah 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 um um, okay, so really, we're getting to the end of this. So we just talk a little bit about UI testing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, we sort of touched yeah. on it a little bit earlier, didn't we? But this is the um, this is the bit that I genuinely never really did. It just it was me most of the time, and obviously, you've yeah. got your lucky 
circumstance there with your brother being able to help you out but i think for most people this is a this is a place where you're going to reach out to a consultant or an external service um but you've got the idea of just getting i think three people is what you think Mm, does the guy don't make me think bug um you remembered his name oh krog but i've forgotten his surname yeah Yeah. and he does that in the name of the book sorry it's rocket science something uh where he does there's a youtube video um should really find that where he he shows how to go through a testing of a ui and you just basically get somebody you can screen share so it doesn't have to be expensive to go through a task ideally for the whole ux thing you would have a genuine person who needs the service and you would give them a task to do and you as far as he's concerned Three will give you so much information. It's diminishing returns after that. Right, you right, know? right. So it can be cheap. But of course, with anything related to this, it's just one thing you do is better than nothing. So just getting somebody, a friend or family to run through a task on their, on your website can be very revealing. Um, and we don't do it. I don't. The same as you. I mean, uh, I've, I did it once on my own project and it, I, I, probably did three people I think might have done four and honestly it just was so eye-opening um so you you found value in it oh god because you know uh, I built it it works the way I wanted they didn't go they didn't make the decisions that I thought they would make where they clicked and they found things that were broken that I didn't I didn't know were broken you yeah. know <laughs> they, they managed to do things it was a it was an e-commerce thing even before WooCommerce. So, um, WooCommerce takes care of most of that for you. Well, that yeah, the, there is a good point there. You know, a lot of the things that we're building with WordPress, yes. that, that that flow has kind of been um, Tested, yeah. has been fixed over time, and also because WooCommerce is such a big part of e-commerce in general, kind of feel that they've got a lot of that right. Obviously, you can modify that with things like I don't know cart flows and whatnot. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but a lot of it's been done already but i do take your point just getting two or three eyes cast over it. if it was that revealing and if it was just two people i guess the lesson there is that you were just so embedded in it you yeah. just didn't see what other people saw and yeah. if you can get that right in early stages before you hand it over as the finished product in my waterfall model then you are going to make the whole thing better in the long term for very little effort. What would that be? Like two hours of your time, two or three hours of your time? I guess you've got to book these people in and sit with them and watch what they do or or get a video or something. But it's not a big investment, is it? Well, I mean, you can do I mean, the tools are there with screen sharing for free. Yeah. Things like Webby, which I use, will allow you just to watch the screen. The, The real skill in it is just... Deciding the tasks that people go through. So it would work on any site. You know, if you say we went to our lawyer site and you say, okay, we want to imagine now that you you need um, the divorce service. You're getting divorced and you need to get the information that you want to do that and you want to contact them about that. Just go through that. And then the real skill in it, and it's the same as asking open questions as you would do to get the user experience and get to the motivations, is about that skill of being able to ask open-ended questions, avoid asking opinions, asking them about the behavior. How did you decide where to go next? You know, Um, and avoid questions that kind of lead a little bit like how easy was it 
for you. Why did you not? Or whatever, because people just justify those and avoid priming the user as to what expect to expect now. So you can, it's just a process of keeping it open, give them a clear task. And then, you know, when you think they're hovering in the wrong place or going in a strange direction, just say, why did you decide to do that? And then you, you'll probably get some insight as to what's not standing out on the page. Yeah, you know, there's not the kind of contrast or the spacing that you need. So I, th I think it's really, really invaluable. But, you know, like you, I've not done it. But I think it could be something that is just a really minor thing. When you think about all the time that you spend on trying to put a site together, you could literally get through two people in half an hour and probably learn a great deal. I guess I guess the, uh, the sort of cart before the horse moment is when you realize that all of the hard work that you've done so far is totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh, hold on. Those three people have told me this site really doesn't work. Ouch. There's that moment as well, the, the, you know, the fear of having that happen. But I, I get it. You know, if, if, you're, if your three-person survey indicated to you that actually nobody's doing anything that I would like them to do, that's, that's super, super important information to have. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to reveal. It's just interesting watching. I, I rarely do it, but I do have the advantage of my wife not thinking anything like I think. So I can occasionally observe her, and she nearly always pulls out something I would have missed, you know, on her website. So even something as simple as that's quite useful. Yeah, yeah. So you you rope her into helping out with these things, do you? Yeah, she just does it anyway. She just goes and critiques it, but you know, <laughs> but it's always right, you know, and yeah. it's always what I wouldn't have seen. So yeah. I think that's the the thing. It doesn't take many people. I mean, you might run out of friends you could do it on, but I don't think it has to be a big deal, you know. Yeah. Well, there are other online tools, aren't there? Yeah, oh, that it's probably loads of online tools, I would have thought, but yes. Um, there are, I mean, there's the flash test one where, you know, you get a very quick flash of the design that you've done and then people kind of judge it this is more for an emotional response so you, we could do that with the lawyer site we could say you know do a quick flash and just say does this feel like a lawyer site to you does this yeah. seem credible yeah you know yeah um uh, how did this site make you feel it's a bit dodgy kind of stuff but it can be quite useful to see whether the, the first flash or something because that's what we believe happens isn't it when someone lands on the site they make that kind of decision yeah the, that assumption quality. right away that's right yeah 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 and there's a, the kind of click testing but i've i've been told that's a kind of if you go for a free where you get people to click test through a site or online there are some of those services out there i've never used them but i've, I've been warned not to use the free versions because people earn points for uh, going through the process and of course they could just randomly click to earn their points ew Oh, no. No, do so your research there. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah. I, guess, I guess the bottom line with all of this is that some, some like we've, we've covered a lot there, mm -hmm. but something is better than nothing. If you just yes. do a little bit of this, one or two bits, it's yes. better than sitting on the fence and saying, oh, I'm not going to do anything. Um, whichever bit you're most comfortable with, which you can systematize for your workflow, that would be useful. I think so. And that's really I, that's the point of having this conversation, isn't it, really, is that I think most of the time I'm trying to aim now. So I'll, I'll at least do one test of the of the UI and I will try and get one potential user, someone who needs the service I'm building a site for and try and do a little bit of this empathy mapping just to get something. If that, That's going to be my new minimum. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, yeah. 
maybe we'll have to do this podcast again in a year's time and see if you actually did do any of it and uh, whether it's <laughs> whether it's been successful or not. Have we wrapped that up? Is that UIUX? I think so. Yeah, think I'm so. sure we missed some stuff out, but oh, I'm uh, sure. yeah, don't we always? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the last one of this of this season two, next time round, we're going to look at kind of the aesthetics and inspiration side of uh, the web design. Yep, that'll be round in probably two weeks' time. So yep. final episode number six of season two. All right, that was a nice chat. Know. Thanks, David. Yeah, lovely. Bye. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that. It's always a pleasure to chat to David Wormsley about these things. Hopefully you got something out of it. Maybe you strongly agree with what we're saying. Maybe you strongly disagree. The best way to voice those opinions would be to head over to our WPBuilds.com website, search for episode number 277. Alternatively, you could go to our Facebook group, WPBuilds.com forward slash Facebook, and leave a comment in either of those two places. We would dearly love to hear from you. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL and 24-7 support. Bundle that with the hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place. Invoice clients and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by going to go.me forward slash WP Builds. And we thank GoDaddy Pro for their support of the WP Builds podcast. Okay, we will be back next week. It'll be an interview episode because we flip-flop between David and I having a chat and doing an interview episode. Don't forget, we've got our This Week in WordPress show. Comes out live 2pm every Monday. 2pm UK time, that is. And you can get it by subscribing on our subscribe page as a podcast episode the following day. Okay. The only thing that it remains for me to do now is to say bye-bye for now, and here comes some cheesy music. Music